tonight. We are starting a brand new series called What's Really Going On? And the idea behind this series is that we would have an emo- like a roadmap, a biblical roadmap for how we handle and process our emotions. And so uh, that's what we're going to be going through over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I think that that's something that we could all agree on is that we would love to be people who would say that, uh, like people would say about us or we could say about ourselves that we're consistent, we're stable, and we're steady in terms of our emotions. And I think also when we look at it, it's like how uh, emotions are such a big part of our life. How do I handle my emotions in a way that honors God and is pleasing to him? And luckily for us, I believe the Bible lays out a very clear roadmap of how we can do that. And that is what we are going to be discussing tonight. And the problem with uh, emotions, I would say, is that, uh, or, or our feelings, is that we live in a very feelings-driven society, all right? We live in a very feelings-driven society. A lot of what's popular right now is that um, do whatever makes you happy, that happiness or, um, you know, joy has kind of become this ultimate emotion. Those are two separate things, but happiness has be kind of become this huge, like, target, and it's like, man, if I can just be happy, I'll do whatever it takes to make me happy, and we're encouraged to do that, but that kind of seems to fall short because we know that there are seasons and circumstances in life that don't necessarily warrant a happy response. Like, you're not going to go through life happy all the time. And also, I think just this, let's be practical, let's be honest, there's just a lot of bad advice out there about what you should do with your emotions, right? Too many BuzzFeed articles, too many Facebook uh, links, whatever it may be, uh, TikTok influencers talking about it. But with emotions, there actually is a biblical approach that we can take to this subject. And so I think we can kind of find ourselves in two areas. Uh, Probably everyone in here at times can be in both of these camps. And I would describe this as like being in an emotional peacock, all right? Y'all ever been to Dickerson Park Zoo over on the north side? I was over there with my kids one day, and a peacock's on top of a roof, like 15 feet up. I didn't know that they could do that. And he did like a fly thing. I don't know if peacocks can fly, but it was like a fly thing, and he's coming down, okay? They're all out there for everything to see. That's what a peacock is. And so uh, I think there's people that are very emotionally driven, 100% driven by their emotions, okay? And this is a problem, right? Uh, we, we see this, we know this because we see that, uh, y- y'all know someone who can blow up a room, right? Y'all have that friend that it's like, they just have that emotional response and everybody's uncomfortable. Maybe it's your family at Christmas time. Uh, everybody's kind of on pins and needles. Uh, that's why we have things like World Star and you see somebody slapping somebody with a cheeseburger in McDonald's, all right, because they're mad that it had pickles on it. Y'all have seen those videos. Some of y'all, that's on your reels like feed, that that's what gets fed to you because you watch that and consume it. This is the thing that people struggle with. It's like how to handle their emotions, and they're completely driven by their emotions. Here's the problem with that, right? The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, in chapter 17, verse 9, he says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Do you know that about us? Is like you, you probably can think of a time where you're like, man, am I really trusting? Like, why am I even responding away? You're disappointed in your own reaction or your own response to a situation. And the reason is, is because Romans 3.23 says that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. So that's like our starting point, okay? That's why we can't always just trust our emotions and our feelings to guide us. Our emotions and our feelings are along for the ride in life 
They are not driving the car, all right? That's a very important thing to know. Our emotions and feelings are along for the ride, but they should not be driving the car. If we do that, right, and they're the captain of our ship, we will be tossed to and fro by the waves of life, right? That's what's going to happen if we're just always driven by our emotions. I think the second camp that we can all find ourselves in at times is that we suppress emotions. I would call this like an emotional mole, right? You dig down and you don't want anyone to see your emotions. I'm, I'm kind of gravitate towards the other sometimes, but I can be both. My wife is definitely more of an emotional mole where sometimes it's like it's buried down deep and you have to pry to get it out. Maybe you grew up in a family, you never saw your father or your mother demonstrate any emotions. Maybe you never had conversations about things that had any like substance to it. And so you really struggle to even show emotion or even you, it's just something you push down deep, whether it's sadness, whatever it may be, you just push it down. And I think that a lot of times for people, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of people that I've known and man, maybe they've chose to harm themselves in some way. And it's like, man, I never would have expected that from them. That in some way they were suppressing and hiding what was really going on instead of realizing that Genesis 127 says what? It says that we were created in the image of God. Do you know where our emotions come from? It's from God. Emotions are a good thing. He gave them to us, right? It's God. God was uh, angry at times and still gets angry, right? It's a righteous anger. God is sad when his people are far from him. There's things that make him sad. That these emotions are, are from him that we experience, you know? So if you're going through life and every emotion is suppressed, like, so maybe you struggle to be happy and, like, demonstrate that and show that. I mean, that would be like, okay, a couple of weeks ago, um, my wife came to me. And she was holding a pregnancy test. And it was positive, all right? So I have two kids, and now I'm going to have three. My wife's in the room, like, we're going to have three kids. I was happy. I was very happy about that. Very quickly followed, like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? We have three kids. And my second son, Cash, is like two and a half kids because he is emotional, I'm telling you. So if you ever see him, just pray for us. And uh, I really mean that. He, he's an emotional guy. Uh, but, like, that was an elated feeling, like, I should be happy, you know? And, like, these are things that we lean into. There are times when you lose a loved one, like, you should experience sadness. There is a time for mourning. There is a time for joy. But how do we, um, I think sometimes, in young adulthood especially, it's like we get stuck in these emotional ruts. And how do we respond to that when we are in our emotions we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 tonight. Um, it's going to take us just a second to get there, but that's where we're going to be. And I think that we see uh, the Apostle Paul lay out a roadmap for how we can handle that. But we need to understand a little bit more about emotions as we get there. And I think about it like this. This is like one of the big points tonight, is that emotions are a signal of what's going on inside of your heart. Emotions are often a signal of the status, right, of what's going on in your soul, your well-being, on the inner being, your internal self, right, like what's happening in your heart. Emotions often serve as an indicator towards what's going on. I think about it like this, is like our emotions are often like a thermometer, and they're reading the temperature of what's happening, but they're not always reflecting, like a, a thermometer doesn't say, hey, this is why the temperature is what it is. 
And so I think with emotions, we have to get to the root. If we're to get out of emotional ruts or we're just to live a life that honors God, we have to get to the root of what is going on. And this is something that has been so helpful and beneficial to me in my life, so if I've learned this and learned to apply it, is, is that understanding that our situations and circumstances around us, the situations and circumstances you face in life drive you to have a certain thought process. You have a way of thinking in response to that. And your thoughts are often what drive your feelings to occur. The way that you are thinking is usually driving your emotions. And now these two things, like that's not just cut and dry. We're more complex than that. You know, sometimes you wake up grumpy and your grumpiness just affects your thoughts. So they play off of each other. But many times our thoughts, what we think about ourselves, what we think about God and the world around us drives our emotion. And the thing is that our emotion often either ends up in suppression or like outward action and behavior. I would describe it like this in, in getting to the root of the issue of what you have going on. Uh, where I live, the, a lot of the houses were built in the 1960s, okay? And in the 1960s, oftentimes the water lines running from the main city like line uh, were made out of clay and not like PVC. And also your lines going out to the sewer from your house. And so uh, what happens oftentimes in my neighborhood is you'll see a plumber at a house one day, and then the next, uh, you know, the next week or the next couple days, you'll see a massive excavator uh, out there, and what they're ending up doing is they dig out this entire line because there's been a plumbing backup, a plumbing issue inside of the house. And while that seems like the problem, the real cause of the problem is these clay pipes the reason they don't use them anymore is because they sweat and they, there's moisture that is wicks off of them. And trees, right, we just went through a drought this summer, trees will do anything to get that water source. So they go and they wrap around those clay pipes and they bust through them, blocking the water flow either to or from the house and it causes a major issue. So there is a problem, yes, the, the, there is a, a plumbing problem, but it's caused by these trees you got to get to the root of the issue. If you're having emotional issues in your life, or you're saying, I want to have victory in this, I want to grow in this, you have to get to the root of what's going on. Before we get further, let me give you an example in my life. So one of the emotions that I have struggled with that has not been God-honoring in my life has been anger. That has been something that just seemed to so plague me throughout college and even uh, into adulthood in my marriage or even in my parenting, sometimes it still comes out, but I've seen a lot of growth. But what I found is that this emotion of anger that often felt so automatic, right? Sometimes our, our thought process is so ingrained that these behaviors just become automatic. But what happened is I realized that as I started to evaluate it, as I started to pray through it, as I talked with someone who pointed me to God's word, I started to realize that my thought life was driving these emotions. And anytime I wasn't in control of a situation, if I didn't get to make the decision, something unexpected happened, whatever it may be, my result was anger. My result was blowing up. And so what I realized is when I lack control in situations, that was what was driving these thoughts of like, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. Why didn't I get a say? This needs to stop right now. I'm in charge of this. These things, these thoughts drive my emotional response of anger so often. 
And what's broken this pattern of thinking is taking that, knowing that, and applying God's words to what I'm thinking, getting to the root of the issue. And the reason why we do this is because I believe it's very clearly laid out in Scripture. So 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. And Paul was one of the greatest Christian missionaries of all time, wrote a bunch of the New Testament. And in this letter, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And in this letter, as Paul's writing, uh, really what he's doing is he's giving an appeal to some people at Corinth who thought that he was not really a true apostle of God. He was not a true ambassador. He really wasn't about Jesus. He was being a fake. And Paul is defending himself and the people who he was close with, who he was working with, to these people. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, a lot of biblical scholars will call this Paul's strong appeal. He is making an appeal to these people and, and really saying, I am legitimately a follower of Christ, and here's why. Here's how I live my life. Here's how we live our lives. And what we can see is that as we apply this to our life today, it's, it's so important to our own emotional health. And so 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And this is just like these three verses right here are packed with important truths. If we are to win kind of the war in our mind, if we are win this battle that's going on inside of our heads and to reach a place of emotional health, it's imperative that we understand this. And so um, what we see right off the top in verse 3 is Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is evidence that when you are a believer, you have new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any was in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so often, I was talking about this this week with somebody, is that as you read Paul's writing in the New Testament, it all starts to feel like, I don't know which letter I'm writing. Am I reading Romans or 2 Corinthians? Because he has these themes that he hits. If you were here with us this summer as we went through Romans chapter 6 uh, through chapter 8, what we see is that there's this old way of the flesh, right? But then there's this new life that Christ gives us when we enter into a relationship with him, a personal relationship. Maybe that's been something you haven't unpacked or understood before, but a personal relationship with Jesus really just means making him the Lord of your life. It's an exercise in humility and stepping down and saying, hey, I'm not in charge of my own life, that uh, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You came to die for my sins on the cross. I'm going to put my trust in you. That's what it looks like. And so the key is here as we start, as Paul says, hey, even though I'm walking in the flesh, we are still all in our physical bodies here. I don't wage war the same way as somebody who's not walking with Christ. Because I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. Paul is recognizing that there is something different about me as I've entered into a relationship with Jesus. And so here's the key. 
This, what we're talking about tonight, is not self-help. You will not find this in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble because it all hinges upon having a relationship with Jesus. Because we are sinful people, because our hearts are deceitful, we need Jesus to come into our lives and transform us. And he does that in two different ways or two different uh, weapons that we can fight with. And in verse 4 it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are these weapons that Paul is talking about? That as this battle in your mind rages on, and maybe you're stuck in things, a stronghold, right, that you can't seem to break free of, what are the weapons we fight with? Well, the first weapon, this is kind of the game plan, right? Three keys to success is a relationship with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and also relying on and applying the Word of God, the truth, to our lives. That, uh, you know, what's crazy is that in Ephesians chapter 6, as Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians, maybe you've uh, been familiar with the armor of God. Shout out to everyone that went to a vacation Bible school when they were a kid and covered that. You eat the hot dogs with the green mustard or the green ketchup. Anybody else? Okay, that was my life growing up. But um, as you do that, right, you're learning about the armor of God. What's crazy is that the only offensive weapon listed in the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, Paul writes it here as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That the only offensive weapon that we have as believers and as we're engaging in this spiritual battle against Satan is we have the Word of God. He lists it. It's not the only one we have, but we have the Word of God to fight this battle. And so as you look at the battle that's going on in your mind, you have to take the truth of God's Word and apply it to the way that you are thinking. And we're going to talk more about that. In a second, we have to rely on the truth of God's word. But what we also have to rely on is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love Acts 1.8, and it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, and this is mind-blowing, right? In our Western world that uh, is very uh, atheistic and agnostic, or we don't lean into these type of things, the idea of the Holy Spirit can feel like, What? The Holy Spirit is simply this. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you get the power of the Holy Spirit, a teacher, a guide, and a counselor in your life that can help you in how you are living in a way that honors God. And so what we're seeing here laying out is where the world gives us all these different ways that we can handle emotions and all these different approaches and how to maintain your feelings and emotional health, God says, here's a very clear roadmap. Believe in me, right? Enter into a relationship with me, rely on my word to be the lens through which you view the world and view your life, and then rely on the Holy Spirit, knowing that in and of yourselves, you don't have the power to destroy the strongholds in your life. And I can't help but think about it. I've been praying about it all day. I challenged our prayer team to pray about it, is that we are people in here that are facing spiritual strongholds. You might have come in here with an addiction, whatever it may be, I don't know. What a stronghold is, is we look at it in scripture, and we look at it in context of this passage. A stronghold is something that drives us away and makes us feel captive to sinful, harmful, and addictive behavior. That's what a stronghold is. And 
Let me tell you, until you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you will not overcome the stronghold of the sin in your life. But then as you follow Jesus, right, and you're sanctified and you become more like Christ, you have to continue to lean on him to break the strongholds in your life. It doesn't just happen. I wish it happened overnight. It can, and God can do that, but so often we're in this struggle. We're in this fight. And when we use the spiritual weapons that Paul is talking about here, we can have victory over the strongholds and the things in our life which hold us down and seem to weigh us down. I don't know what your stronghold is. I don't know what emotional rut you get into that feels like, man, why am I always this way? For me, it was so often anger. It's other things too. You know, what, where is that stronghold? What is it coming from? You know, when we talk about getting to the root of the issue, one of the things I think that's so relevant for us in young adulthood is when we look at really sexual temptation and this feeling of lust that feels so overwhelming, right? And the behaviors that we engage in, which are against the word of God, to kind of uh, deal with these things. You know, one of the, the ways that, let me unpack this for a second, is when we look at the, the quarantine that happened that we were engaged in, I saw a statistic uh, just this week, I read it in a book and, uh, um, the, that I'm going through, and it talked about how during the pandemic in Europe, over 50% of adults engaged in pornographic material over the course of that quarantine. And, you know, I think on the surface, it's like, yeah, there was just this emotional feeling of lust there, and they just satisfied it. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's what the world would preach to us and tell us and say to us that this is a fine, this is a normal thing, just deal with it and, and you're good. But what I know about this is as I meet with people and as I look at what happens is so often engaging, uh, you know, maybe you have a porn addiction in here, maybe you have just kind of this sexual sin that is just feeling like a stronghold in your life. So often it is something that people use to numb and medicate something that they're dealing with, that their thought life is I'm not good enough. I'm stressed out about this. Nobody's going to want me. I'm, you know, look at the pandemic and there's all this anxiety and stress towards, man, how am I going to deal with what's going on? What if I die? All of these different thoughts and emotions are going, or are, are driving these actions and these behaviors. And really when we get to the root of it, we say, if I peel this back and I look at this stronghold, I have to figure out what thoughts are driving me to feel so stuck right here? What's driving me to be so stuck right here? And that God has promised us, not just told us, but promised us that we can have victory over the strongholds in our life through a reliance on the Holy Spirit and applying God's word to our lives. And I love this in verse 5. Uh, Paul says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is, this is like the heart of what we need to do right here. That as we go throughout our lives, no doubt we'll be faced with situations and circumstances that drive patterns of thoughts which lead to emotions, and our emotions lead to other thoughts, and it just becomes this spiraling thing that happens, that what we have to do is we have to go in and we have to apply the truth of God's word to our lives. So next time 
you're, you're sad and you feel unwanted, it's a reminder that all throughout Scripture, God promises that as believers, we belong to a spiritual family. That as you're, uh, you know, feeling abandoned and that uh, no one loves you, that what we can remind ourselves in the truth of God's Word is that we have a heavenly Father and a friend in Jesus. That as we have low self-esteem and we feel ashamed of who we are, the way that we look, what we can remember is that we were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. What about when um, we have stress and anxiety and we're worried about everything that's going on around us? Scripture tells us not to worry about tomorrow, right? For today has enough troubles of its own that we're applying the truth of God's word to our lives. What about when we have emotions? It's like, man, we're happy and we have good things that have happened to us and we're excited. Well, that should drive us to why am I happy? You ever ask that question like, why am I happy right now? Man, I'm happy because I'm healthy, and I'm happy because I had a great day at work at a job that I love. And that should then turn us to praise God, that we apply the truth of God's word to our lives and realize that, man, as we have blessings in our life, that should pour back out in thanksgiving to God. It not only destroys the strongholds that we face, but it also helps us to celebrate what God is already doing in our lives. And so this is the practical application right here. This is the homework, right? And as we begin to close and as we're going to sing and, and we're going to respond here, this, this is the homework. This is it right here. Is that take a thought audit of what's going on in your life. As you look at your feelings and your emotions and what's happening, ask yourself, why am I responding in this way? What thoughts are driving this behavior? I would challenge you, this is what I do whenever I do this. And, and um, I literally just start writing things down. Can I be real with you all and tell you that in preparation for this, I feel like I failed so miserably emotionally in the weeks uh, since like prepping for this. And I remember on Sunday morning after, after Saturday, I had just been like um, kind of just in my feelings, right? I don't know that you could see it outwardly. The people closest to you can, can see it. My wife could tell. But I was just kind of in my feelings. And so before I'm coming to church, I just sat down and I started writing out what was going on? I wrote down, you know, like, I feel despair, God. I feel like I, I just am not connecting with you. And then I start looking at what does God's word have to say? Okay, God's never going to leave me or forsake me. In the world, there are troubles and tribulations and trials, but the peace of God surpasses all understanding that I'm actually not in a place of desperation, that I know where I'm going eternally and that I'm eternally secure. And as I began to apply these things into a, just a list of emotions and, and things, that I started to realize how I can or, reorient my thoughts in a way that honors God. I could take my thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, not in my own power, but because of the power that is working inside of me. So if I could tell you one thing to do in young adulthood, right, and, and to do sooner, it start to recognize okay, where are these sin areas in my life? Where emotionally am I struggling? And look at, okay, what thoughts are driving this sort of feeling? And what is this outward action that's happening? Kind of backtrack, reverse engineer your way through it and start applying the truth of God's word to your life and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to break these strongholds that exist. That's, that's like the key to victory is a relationship with Christ, the truth of God's word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jared mentioned earlier that we have a vision here to see 570 young adults following Christ in our community. And the key to that, that statement, that vision, is following Christ. We're not just trying to have 570 people show up for an event. We want to see 570 people 
following Christ in our community. And that happens when discipleship is happening. That happens when you go to a coffee shop and you meet up with people and you're pouring into them and you're investing back into them. And so many of you I know in here, it's like, when do you start this process? When do you start pouring into other believers? Don't wait. Don't delay. Find somebody who's a step behind you and start pouring into them. Find people who are around you and start pouring into them. You know, we spent a lot of time this last winter developing this book that we call Faith Basics Guide right? There's nothing special about this book other than it helps people understand God's word better. And all, all our goal is, is that, man, we'd be a community of people. We'd take this, we'd go through it with people, and we'd help them to see these are some of the basics of the faith. These are some things that if you apply these to your life, your life is going to honor Christ. In order to see 570 people following Jesus in our community, not only do you have to apply this to your own life, But as you meet up with people and as you're processing things with them and pouring into them and investing in them, this is something that you give back to others. And what I want to say in just closing, and maybe you're you're kind of wondering and thinking like, man, I don't don't know about a relationship with Jesus. Like, I don't don't know about all that, but I'm interested. Maybe when you came in, you're kind of at the edge there where it's like, I don't know what else I'm going to do to change things in my life. My first question would always be to you is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you in humility recognized, I don't have power to overcome the sin in my life. I don't have power to overcome the strongholds that I face. Do you know that starting a relationship with Jesus just looks like simply saying, yes, I'll make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Scripture tells us in Romans, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That it's not this some crazy process you have to go through, but it's a commitment in humility. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what saying yes to Jesus looks like. And the best part, one of my favorite parts about my job and getting to be a part, not just my job, but uh, when you get invested in a community of believers is to see life change in people. And when we talk about groups, kickoffs, and these things that we're doing, you know why we put effort into that? Because you need community around you. It's your community who can see a change in you. It's when Jared tells me, hey, you're so much further along in that than you were in college. Or Coco says, hey, you've grown so much in this. Or I see growth in them or people that I've been around or, you know, my coworkers or uh, my friends, the other people I walk with. When you see growth in them and, like, y'all get to see that in each other, there is something special and amazing that happens. And if you're in here tonight and you have this feeling of like, man, I don't know, I just am feeling encouraged or I'm feeling like I need to deal with this stuff, can I just tell you that that's not an accident. That's God drawing you into a relationship with him and saying you need community. You need people around you who are pursuing the same thing as you. And as we do that together, as we become more emotionally healthy, we will be able to better serve the purposes that God has for us individually and us as a community to the outward world. And we will be a better depiction of what Christ is in our lives. And that's why this topic matters so much and why we should take it so seriously. I want to ask y'all to bow your heads. I just want to ask, in a room this size, for everybody who's watching us online, have you said yes to following Jesus? It would be the best decision that you ever make. Best decision you ever make, bar none. 
And I would ask, is there anyone in here tonight who says, I want to say yes to following Jesus? Would you just put your hand up in the air so I can pray for you? I want to say yes to following Jesus. God, I want to see you do have spiritual victory in my life. Just slip your hand in the air so we can pray for you. If you don't feel like responding now, you can fill out a connection card after the service. Our team would love to talk to you. If you're watching online, you can go to highstreet.org connect. You can fill out a connection card there and let us know so that we can pray for you and partner with you. God, I pray for every person who's in here. I pray that you would break spiritual strongholds that are dragging us and weighing us down. That Satan's plan is to block the application of your word. But what you want us to do is be obedient to your word and follow it. God, so I pray as we respond in worship that anything that anyone's dealing with, God, they would either come in humility and bring it to the altar or that in their seed as they worship that they would deal with it and take a moment in this busy week to look to you. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen.